Hi everyone, my name is Diane Yu and I will be your host for this episode of From the Patient's Eyes podcast presented by Orange Grove Bio and the Autoimmune Registry. From the Patient's Eyes is a podcast created to give autoimmune patients a platform to share their stories and bring awareness to the unmet medical needs of the community. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of From the Patient's Eyes. My name is Diane Yu and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Erin Schwindenhammer. Uh, she's 45 years old and she has a number of diagnoses that we're going to discuss today with her and understand a bit more about her disease. Welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a bit about how old you were when you were diagnosed? Sure. So my first diagnosis was lupus and I started showing signs of lupus um, in my later teen years around, I think around like 15 or 16. And then I was officially diagnosed with that uh, right after I think about at 20 years old. So it was after I had, I got pregnant with my son um, as a college, like a college freshman. And then I had him six weeks after I turned 19 and that's when my symptoms really flared up. So then um, right after he was about a year old, that's when I um, really got sick and I was coming home from class and like crawling in the door. And at the time I was living at home with my parents you know, raising my son and I was, you know, coming in the door, crawling to get to my bed. And my mother also has lupus. So she was really kind of an advocate and said, you know, this is definitely, you know, this, you have lupus. I know you do. So she was, you know, really advocating for me as well and calling, you know, our primary care physician, because we shared a primary care physician at the time and saying, this is not right. Like, you know, she was, so she was pushing for me to get tested, start the preliminary blood test and then getting me pushed to a rheumatologist to get diagnosed. So, you know, I had already started showing signs and some of my levels at the time when I was younger were elevated, but to, you know, really get diagnosed, there's markers that you have to meet. So, um, and I hadn't met all of those markers in my earlier teen, you know, my later teen years. So then when, you know, when those were all just, you know, when elevated flared, yes. And, and I had met some of the other markers where later on, then it was, she really was advocating for me then. And then I finally got the diagnosis then. So of lupus, and that was my first AI then. So it's great that your mother advocated for you. Do you think the mm -hmm. diagnosis would have taken much longer? Yes, it would have. Her? Yes, it would have um, for sure. Um, and then, so that was the first one. And then when I was um, 25, I got diagnosed with um, APS or antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, which is the clotting disorder. Um, I had a blood clot and actually before that, a miscarriage, um, a late term, you know, a second trimester miscarriage and a blood clot. Yeah. 
And um, so that was kind of the indicator of that coming out. And that's also a complement AI that goes along with lupus. So it kind of wasn't a shock that I had that. So I definitely, um, you know, once you have like, I mean, it's kind of a goes hand in hand that once you have one autoimmune disorder, it's, you know, more than often not likely that you develop another one. And a lot of AIs have complement AIs. So, you that know, right. How, so, sorry, how, how did you handle um, motherhood during this time with the disease onset? You, you mentioned that you were pregnant with your first child. And uh, with the lupus? Yeah, with the lupus. Um, you know, really, I think that wasn't more cumbersome as was I was going to school. So motherhood and having a child, being a single mother, going to school, and I was working too. So that was That's more cumbersome. That was more cumbersome than dealing with the lupus, I think. Honestly. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my, you know, also having a mother that had lupus. So, uh, I see. And, and my mother is a very take charge kind of person. And my, my mother's big theme all along has been, don't let it run you, you run it. So mm. I've been a very take charge in, in everything I've done all along with all of my autoimmune disorders, never let them run me. I've always been very head on and everything. I've been an advocate for myself. Um, and you, I've had to do that all along because, you know, the theme of things with a lot of people, you know, patients who have multiple AIs, you tend to fall through the cracks and we end up often not, we end up diagnosing ourselves, which is sad, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, um, we will have to end up like taking our labs into our own hands and saying, hey, so I've got X, Y, and Z into a group on Facebook and saying, so I've got these labs, I've already got these other AIs, and now I've got this going on. What are your thoughts? Because- Interesting. Right. So <laughs> that happens and quite often come to our own conclusions and figure out what's going on with us. And that's because our, because our doctors are falling short and there's not a centralized, there's not a specialist. Yeah, there's not, and, there, and there's not a centralized specialist that specializes in just autoimmune disorders, right? right? So it's a pretty shocking thing that we do end up, like I just had to diagnose myself with another autoimmune disorder because my doctors missed it mm. just recently. Now so, it's, it's a minor one, but I had to do it and it should have been something that they should have caught. Yes, that makes sense. At the time of your diagnosis, did you know about the possible treatments because your mother had been diagnosed yes. with lupus? Yes, yes, I did. And, and I, when initially when my mother got diagnosed, I did a ton of research on wh what was lupus. So mm -hmm. I'm the one who dives in head first and says, okay, 
we have this. So what, what is that? What does it mean? And like, so I did all the research for my mom and I was the one at the time where there was no internet, you know, when she got diagnosed, when she got diagnosed, I was 13, I think. So I was in the library digging books and asking the librarian to, you know, help me. Like I'm, you know, in the, you know, catalog, the card catalog at the time, you know, digging through, doing the research. And I was pulling out, you know, articles and copying them and highlighting things and taking them home to my mom. So, you know, and then going to the centralized library and pulling out microfish and copying those to take them home to her. So I already had quite a bit of information. So I was well-versed in what lupus looked like um, from a research perspective and then a personal perspective because I watched what she went through. And then she had also been to um, a specialized hospital as well. So for autoimmune patients? No, just for lupus patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom only has lupus and then she has... um, some heart conditions and things that go along with it. So she, luckily enough, only has lupus and then um, genetically her family wise has a lot of heart conditions and things. So right now I'm not on anything specifically for lupus. Um, That's been not really much of an issue. It's not been really flared right now. Um, So, occasionally it'll flare and that's really just joint pain it hasn't done any individual attacks on any of my organs lately so that's nice um sometimes it likes to pick on my kidneys or my liver um sometimes i mean i've been in like um acute re- re- like renal failure I've done, that's happened to me where it'll where I've been in renal failure and I've been to the point where I've had to be on dialysis and that kind of thing. So that's not been fun. No, I Um, can't imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is there, I guess, since you mentioned being, you know, very much looking into this disease, even before you were diagnosed, um, have you been closely following clinical developments in recent years in terms of Uh, clinical trials and such? Not with lupus, I haven't, just because um, my other autoimmune disorders have been, so like I kind of pick and choose about what's the latest and greatest and what's really been bothering me. And that's Mm. what I tend to do or what I've just been recently diagnosed with. And that's usually where I dive in head first at, so. Yeah, like I just like I just got diagnosed with Addison's a couple of years ago. And so that's the one that I'll, you know, or the adrenal insufficiency. And that's where I'll dive in head first at and do the most research on and figure it out and find out like what the latest and greatest treatments are or dosing regimens or those kind of things. So could you share a little bit more about Addison's? Yes. So um, with Addison's or adrenal insufficiency, there's um, primary and then there's secondary and then there's um, 
terrestrial, ter I forget how you pronounce that one. So primary can be, um, you can get that like a couple of different ways. You could, primary can be where it's the autoimmune form or, and, or it can be, you can end up primary by having your adrenal glands removed due to like, because you've been Cushing, you've had Cushing's, which is like the exact opposite of Addison's. So um, where you've had, um, so Addison's is what it is, is that you, your um, body normally would, um, your body naturally releases cortisol into your system. Um, that's what keeps your body functioning. It sends cortisol to your organs. So your organs like function, it wakes your body up in the morning. It keeps your body functioning throughout the day. Um, it's part of your fight or flight system. So like when your body releases adrenaline into your system, then your body then counters with um, cortisol. So when you don't have, when your body isn't able to produce cortisol, um, you, I mean, you have to have that to live. If you don't have that, you die. I mean, that's end of story. So um, you have to take a supplement to survive. So like you take hydrocortisone or there's a couple of other different, like a, a, like a synthetic steroid to keep you functioning. That's how, that's how I deal with it. Um, so, um, but so primary would be, um, you then you take also take um, fludrocortisone to help manage your, um, keep your blood pressure raised and to add in some like sodium and electrolytes into your system as well. Um, secondary is um, you, the cause of your body not releasing cortisol into your system is for a secondary reason, like your pituitary gland is involved. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not sending the proper signals, like you may have a pituitary tumor or um, you may have, your adrenal glands may have been damaged for some reason or some, some, some other nature. Right, right. So um, sometimes if you're secondary, your adrenal glands can recover and you won't have to be on steroids for the rest of your life. The third kind, um, I, I, the third kind, I can't remember. It's okay. We don't have to discuss is, it. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, I guess, yeah, but so with so the, it, so I'm on when I'm, I'm on steroids, you know, for the rest of my life, I will never, ever be able to stop taking them. Yeah. So, and I take a mixture of hydrocortisone and prednisone to function, um, so yeah, that's, that's it. I, but that's how my treatment is. Um, and that one, um, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting how that works, but that's the one that sent me to, I, for whatever reason, and it's a constant balancing act to get, 
the right amount of steroids into your body every day. Sometimes I need more, sometimes, you know, and every, everybody who has it differs about the amount of steroids that they need in their body every day. Sometimes mm -hmm. you, you have a standard dosing regimen that you take daily, but then there may be like, if you're sick or, um, you are under physical stress or anything like that, you may need to take a little bit more because that's what your body would naturally do. So, yeah. Um, I also have developed, um, another one that's another like another one it's a complement to addison's pernicious anemia um which is the one i had to end up diagnosing myself right uh, could you share a bit about this so thing? yeah so pernicious anemia and i actually also have a genetic history of it as well it's in mm -hmm. my it's in my genetic background too um it is uh it's a vitamin it's a vitamin b12 deficiency and uh, it can cause neurological symptoms, all kinds of other things that can go along with that. Um, but I was having neurological symptoms as well behind it. Yeah. Is that one where so, you could take a supplement to help? You have to, yeah, injections. Injection. Yeah, I take oh, okay. vitamin B12 injections. Um, and then, so it, it that that has helped it stopped the progression of things so um, and, it has helped kind of improve things as well so um i guess switching to a different topic completely how sure. more on the personal side i guess how do people respond when you share your illness journey with them um i either get a I'm so sorry, or, you know, that must be really hard, or, you know what, you're amazing. So, <laughs> well, I hope we are not, <laughs> we don't fit in, I don't fit into those three categories. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, and I, I mean, I, I'm sorry I mean, that's that, fine that, that is the reaction, yeah. but I guess it's understandable, right? Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I have a whole, I mean, and I even get when I go to the doctor's office that I get, wow, you're a difficult patient or you're a complicated patient. Well, I understand mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah, it's a lot to deal with, but, and I always tell them like, you know, I, I tell if I see like a new, like, especially even a primary care doctor, like, I understand that this is a lot. So if you're not willing to do this, then, you know, it's a lot to take on. So if you don't, if you're not, I don't mean to be rude about this, but if you're not capable of doing it, then just tell me, like, I would rather you say, this is a lot than take it on and then I realize that you're not capable of course it happened where they go oh no I'm fine it's okay and then they're not capable of it interesting so. because of the complexity of all these Rest. diseases together yeah. and not there's not enough um I guess scientific evidence in each of them of what to do for the patient right if you don't have the skill set to manage yeah. it 
like that's okay and it's okay for you to admit as a provider that you don't have the skill set that's okay i mean when i you know when it's totally okay so yeah i mean and it, and it is okay for i mean i understand why someone else's somebody else's under reaction may be you know I'm so sorry, or, you know, I understand why people may react in that way. So I just kind of brush up, but I'll tell them, you know, it's, don't feel sorry for me, you know, please don't feel that way because I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. So, um, it took me a long time to, to finally feel okay and be okay with it. It, it did not long time, but it took me a while to be okay and, and accept and, but because, you know, who wouldn't not be okay for a while with right everything that I have? It's, a, it is a lot to deal with. So, what was something that people around you did to help you get there? Um, you know, like I said, I have a supportive, you know, I do have a supportive family and I have, I do have a supportive husband. I really do. Um, it's, I mean, it's overwhelming for him at times still. I mean, goodness. Um, but I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I do have that. I do have a very supportive husband. Um, I have some great friends who are, you know, always there if I need to just vent or cry or say, wow, I, you know, I've had to be, you know, going to therapy every once, you know, every once in a while when I've gotten overwhelmed. So, I mean, I'm back in therapy again right now to just, because it's been a lot lately. So, and it's okay for me to say that I need that. Yeah, so. I think it's understandable. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you have for other patients with your condition or condition? Um, I definitely would say, you know, like I said, you, you know, with the model that I have, you have to run it. You can't let it run you. You have to really take things, you know, one step at a time and manage things, be an advocate for yourself and, you know, don't, and, and stay on top of things, you know, don't, expect that that make sure that each lab that's done that you review it yourself you make sure that every single doctor is looking at them as well and that it's discussed that they're looking over it like they don't just order it but that they review it and you talk about it um, and then your each specialist is looking over even if they didn't order those labs, that they're looking at them too. So, so being proactive and taking mm, initiative. Yep, absolutely. Um, because even if, you know, they, you have to make sure that you are managing your doctors too. So that way things don't fall through the cracks. That's, that makes sense. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I think, 
like I said earlier, I just hope that at some point, and we, it's been a big thing that we've all kind of vocalized that we do need, a, a, you know, a centralized system, I think, for us to all, you know, have a doctor, you know, a, a doctor. Like a, yes, yes. For a clinic where we can, they're all together in one spot. It'd be really lovely. So for sure. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be very helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Anna. It was a Thanks pleasure speaking with you. Yes, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of From the Patient's Eyes. We would also like to thank our guests again for their willingness to be open and vulnerable in their experiences. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will join us for the next one.